Welcome to the inaugural issue, the inaugural episode of Care Providers Oklahoma's podcast. This is Stephen Buck. I am your president and CEO of the association, and today I am honored to be joined by Brian Freed, our partner at the Capitol um, with Amber Integrated. They do much more than just capital work. So, Brian, we're glad you're here today. Thanks, Steve. Happy to be here. So Brian and I have known each other for a couple of decades now, and and what I will tell you is he will be a frequent guest as we work through these podcasts. Uh, He has a lot of information to share. Many of you within our network know him very well, and so I know you'll look forward to hearing from him. Brian, I think first, let's start by learning a little bit more about you. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, your activities, what you enjoy doing, but also what brought you to work in this sector? Well, that's a, that's a good question, Steve. And, uh, you know, I guess the, the, my story is a lot like a lot of kids. I grew up in uh, this, this business. It was somewhat of a family business. Uh, but what is, what is probably the part that is more like other kids is I decided, I was going to rebel against that. Uh, I, I grew up in it. I actually got a degree from the University of Oklahoma and ended up uh, uh, doing internships at the Capitol. I, I worked for the Senate pro tem for a couple of uh, uh, summers and had an opportunity to go work on Senate staff. But I decided to throw all of that away and chase my dream to go work for a professional sports team and ended up in Atlanta working for the Atlanta Braves for a period of time. The, the nemesis of my New York Mets. The, they are definitely a nemesis right now, uh, and I'm happy that they are. Uh, but we, uh, so I, I was there and basically got a, got a call and it was a family business and the family business was my stepmom, Odie Ann, and my mm-hmm. dad, uh, Jim Freed. And uh, Odie Ann called and said, would I like to come back to Oklahoma and be interested in joining uh, her and working with her and lobbying? And I had been there not long enough with Braves, decided uh, it was a good opportunity, so I came home. Do you miss baseball? I do miss baseball. Uh, I, I um, got into it because I love sports and I love baseball. And I found myself, ironically, I sent my resume to every uh, sports professional sports franchise basically in America and my favorite team ended up being the one who called and offered me an internship told me I had a week to get to Atlanta and and uh, I, I jumped in the car and did it and it turned into a full-time job I worked three full seasons there uh, and it's, it's a lot of a lot long hours uh, event work you know mm-hmm. and so what I realized after the fact was hey I don't have to uh, work for the Braves to enjoy baseball. I can, I can still be a fan and, and enjoy that. But I do, I do miss baseball and, and I've, I've enjoyed helping coach my son's uh, little league baseball teams up through high school. And uh, that's, that's probably how I've been able to uh, itch that need. A second ago, you mentioned uh, your dad, Jim and, and ODN, your stepmom. And a couple of weeks ago, ODN passed away. Um, had a chance to go to the memorial service. And, and Brian, I would just characterize that um, if there were ever a script 
for honoring the memory of somebody. Uh, your family did extraordinarily well in recognizing the legacy of Odeanne. I, I characterized it as if you had never met her, you would have walked away from the memorial feeling like you knew her. And yeah. so I, I thought it was extraordinarily well done. I, I've had many members talk to me uh, at the service and since the service about how that Odeanne taught them the ropes at the Capitol, that, that she was involved with the association and had a number of years of involvement and how that she was really instrumental in mentoring members on how to effectively communicate um, with their policymakers. And you gave some remarks and you talked about she did the exact same thing for you. Kind of talk a little bit about Odeanne's legacy and let's take a, a few moments and reflect on how accomplished she was in her field. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Steve. You know, uh, we we obviously are very proud of, of how the memorial turned out. You go into those things not knowing how they're going to turn out, and we we were very pleased with how how all of that uh, that turned out, uh, honoring her. And you know, it's kind of funny. We were asking her. Uh, uh, you know, we she had been diagnosed with a terminal illness, and and uh, after a diagnosis only lasted about two months, which was a lot sooner than we thought she would go, but. She she told us uh, we asked her what kind of memorial you know she wanted and got, wanted to get some guidance from her and her comment to uh, to us was I don't know I, I'm not going to be here it's going to be for you guys so you all figure it out and uh, but but she was such a um, a mentor to so many people she was uh, really the first female contract lobbyist at the Capitol in the in the early 80s uh, when this was a very male-dominated, the Capitol itself was very male-dominated, and she just had a unique personality and a unique skill set that was able to, uh, you know, go out and, and really stand on top of a, of, a, of the mountain uh, of the best lobbyists out there, regardless of gender. And so uh, she, she was remarkable, but I, I was, I was not surprised, but I, even at the same time, when you get the number of messages that I received uh, after her passing, when people learned about it, and the number of people that told me she really felt was a mentor to me, she t pulled me aside and she taught me the ropes. And and what I said at the service was true, which was, you know, if you felt that she was your mentor, she was. It was very genuine. She she had lots of people that she tried to help through the years and mainly being me. And, uh, you know, I learned pretty much everything I, I know about lobbying from from her. And uh, so, she, so she's going to be missed. Um, she is she was a historical kind of figure in, a, in an era that was pre-term limits uh, that that, you know, we'll never see again in, in Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, I was I was just honored to have an opportunity to work with along with her for for uh, over 20 years. Yeah. Well, I, I knew ODN. Um back in the late 1990s, and, and I think you and I, before we, we visited today, were kind of talking about, uh, it appeared that she and your now colleague, Tammy uh, Kilpatrick, worked together a little bit, mm -hmm. right? And yep. uh, Tammy, uh, Tammy is a very intimidating force at the Capitol. She's got a killer smile, but she can flat out intimidate. And, and I'll always remember, uh, we were working on mental health parity at the time, and, and Tammy would... Uh, worked me over pretty good in meetings, and it seemed without fail that when those meetings would end at the Capitol, I'd walk out in the meeting room, and very short order, Odeanne would show up, and she'd have some uplifting word for me, and um, she and I didn't work on many issues in common, but she just had that type of persona that was 
magnetic. And so I, the the service was excellent. I'm glad I had a chance to take part in that and, and honor her legacy. Well, I think, you know, Steve, one of the things is that she came from a different era. Uh, and, you know, it's maybe lost on people that follow modern politics. But, you know, Odian grew up with a father who was a football coach and she learned, you know, kind of a competitive spirit. But her her belief was you went out there and you competed hard on the on the playing field. And then afterwards, uh, you know, you're gracious in defeat. You're gracious in victory. And, you know, you you went out there and and uh, you could you could battle all day long and then afterwards go have dinner together and uh, still be friends. Mm -hmm. And that that was that era. And, you know, unfortunately, some of that's been lost, uh, you know, in this modern kind of politic political world that we're living in today. But but, you know, it certainly was, a, a, you know, those those people back then worked just as hard, competed just as much. Uh, it just was a little bit different attitude. Why do you think she liked working on behalf of the nursing home sector so much? You know, she found herself uh, really, uh, you know, I didn't really know anything about healthcare. you know, uh, coming out of uh, college and going into playing, you know, professional sports. And she, I talked to her a lot and she had found kind of a niche working in healthcare, uh, had worked on some, some, uh, with some other provider groups and, and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, at its core, uh, she just enjoyed helping people and helping, um, try to promote, especially in, in some type of a healthy way. She worked on a lot of causes throughout her years, whether it was, you know, banning uh, smoking in public places or working on seatbelt laws or any of those type of things. I think really when it was said and done, her heart was kind of in healthcare type issues. And so I think that that's, you know, one of the main drivers and one of the main reasons that she really enjoyed uh, working on this issue. She was an educator uh, before she became a lobbyist, uh, was a school teacher. And I think that, you know, uh, you know, some of those things that she learned there, she was able to take into to lobbying. And I think healthcare just became one of those areas. And she also recognized not a lot of people understood healthcare. And, you know, mm -hmm. if I can go and learn and understand healthcare, uh, then I'll have an advantage over others. You know, I would point out ODN, I, I didn't know this um, until the service, but her dad was a historical high school athletics figure. Many, many years of coaching success. I found out from one of um, her dad's former students that there was cross-section between my father's high school coaching career and his collegiate playing career in her family. So oh, wow. I, I just, it was nice to be able to make that connection. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Uh, you know, he was a legendary figure for, for a number of years. And ironically, you know, I, I, uh, I never even met him, you know, he passed away long before, um, you know, ODN came into my life. Uh, he died, you know, way too young, unfortunately, from a heart attack. And uh, he was her, her mentor and her hero in her life. So, Well, it was delightful hearing those. Now, you, you and I have spent a lot of time at the Capitol through the year. You and, you and I have been working in the building for almost 25 years in terms of our overlapping experience. So I know over that course of time, there are likely some vignettes or some specific legislative interactions uh, that you might remember that ODN was involved in, maybe your dad was involved in. And since many of our podcast listeners might have a decades-long view of the sector, are, are there any specific interactions that you found humorous or very much on point about the success of the work that we've done? 
Well, I, I, you know, it's been it's been interesting. Uh, you know, it, it feels to me like it, like everything else. You know, the cost of of goods and the cost of everything just escalates, escalates, escalates. And you know, I feel like when I first started, that our rate uh, may have even been less than a hundred dollars a day. Uh, and you know, we we. We, we fought those battles and fought those battles. And uh, we had a lot of very active um, advocate types through the years that were always kind of thorns in our side. Mm -hmm. uh, not that that's gone away, but some of those real active ones are not as active as they once were. Uh, and, you know, there there is a belief amongst some uh, that believe that government should be the one doing this job, that this should be all run by government. And, you know, it's a philosophy that some people have that I don't subscribe to just because you and I know, I think that government is best um, overseeing and administering and making sure private sector does the right things versus run programs themselves. I don't think that's where government's uh, skill set really is. But yeah, I mean, through the years, I, I, you know, the number of issues that we've worked on have been numerous. We have gone through, uh, you know, s loose scandals in this industry mm -hmm. that have impacted what we do, uh, you know, after Hurricane Katrina, uh, there were lots of conversations all across the country about long-term care and emergency scenarios and how, how to deal with those. And so I think one of the biggest things that we've always had to fight through in the years is that we've always wanted to be uh, proactive and promote uh, quality care. But at the same time, you know, this is a this is a highly capital intensive business in which, uh, you know, government does not reimburse uh, adequately necessarily where they should. And so what we've always tried to raise awareness of instead of overreacting and, and placing some mandates on the sector, uh, you know, let's let's look at this from the perspective of uh, is this what really is good? Is do you want to take staff away from uh, you know working with residents and more clerical type work and things like that? Do you want to take money out of the direct care and put it into, for instance, a generator in a home that you know may or may not ever be used? Uh, mm -hmm. And so, a lot of those conversations through the years that we've had uh, and, and our arguments and, and discussions we've had have been kind of fascinating. You know, this year. Uh, Steve, we worked on, uh, there, there was a piece of legislation out there that we followed very closely having to do with the Long-Term Care Administrators Board. And really what's fascinating about that is that really came from a health department scandal in the early 2000s. The structure of what we've been dealing with that hasn't really worked was a overreaction to some something else that happened, and uh, it's taken a long time to try to try to fix some of those problems. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just uh, it's been fascinating through the years to to watch all of those things and try and combat it because you know you have to do it in a way in this sector where uh, it doesn't look like you are. Uh, at cross purposes with what's in the best interest of the residents. And a lot of times advocates try to present it in that manner. And that is not where any of the operators or owners that I have ever dealt with, none of them have ever wanted to have substandard care, quality of care. It's just a debate on how we do it and how we best deliver it. Brian, as you, as you walk through that, it, it is, 
undeniable the impact that term limits has had on the state of Oklahoma. You referenced that earlier. And and in a future episode, I hope you and I can have a more casual conversation and kind of recall some of the the characters that we've dealt with through the years. I mean, there are some historical, historical figures out there. But one last conversation piece about um, ODN as we honor her legacy. Term limits has turned over the Capitol since she was really active out there. She, she and Jim have had a chance as, as they've aged to enjoy a different lifestyle and, and, and doing different things in terms of living part of a year out of state and all of that. But a lot of Capitol observers have been there for the past 25 years. If they were to look at you and then look at an ODN, what, what would be the, the characteristic that they would look at you and say, oh, yeah, he learned that very well from her? You know, I, 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 you know, I have a hard time uh, speaking about myself. I will say that, but I will. I, I do believe that uh, right, wrong, or indifferent. Uh, I think most people would say that our firm has a high level of integrity uh, and is a firm that keeps their word and and uh, you know represents themselves in an honorable fashion. And you know that is. That is a standard that I learned a long time ago. And if you think about pre-term limit days, answering your question of how I learned this, in pre-term limit days, those legislators, when I first got there, by the way, you know, you too, uh, I think I uh, lobbied for five, six years prior to term limits coming into mm-hmm. play. So I, when I r- arrived, there were uh, legislators that had been there 50 years, 30 years, 25 years. And... You know, you're not going to get very far in that business when you're dealing with somebody for that long if you have a reputation of not being honest and truthful. And so, you know, back then, you know, I, I remember distinctively, for instance, I had a I had a, a, a senator one time uh, had been there forever and I had asked him to carry a piece of legislation for me. He agreed to do it and he called me in his office first week of session and said, I just realized uh, I didn't know what I was what I was uh, requesting here, but I realized that one of the you know top supporters in my district absolutely hates this piece of legislation, and he said, "But you know, my word is my word, and I agreed to carry this for you, and I will do that. I just wanted to let you know that." And of course, I said, "Well, I'm not going to have you do that. We'll find somebody else to carry the legislation. You know, I'm not going to put you in a bad spot with you know." But that's a conversation that happened back then that, you know, sometimes those are not people don't understand enough about it. They're not in the in the job long enough to understand that. But uh, we spent a lot of time. We spent a lot of time preterm limits uh, trying to figure out and predict what things would be like. And now we have we now fully are matured into term limits. And I think the one thing I would just say from my perspective is it has created a lot more turnover than maybe anyone had ever anticipated. Uh, what happens is if I found with legislators that if you don't feel like you're on a track for leadership or something along those lines after maybe six, eight years, you realize I only have 12, I'm kind of stuck, then they, they start looking for other jobs. They start, you know, you see them taking jobs uh, um, all the time now, resigning mm-hmm. early, all that stuff. And that's just because there's a lack of kind of, um, I don't know, predictability in your future, if that makes sense. But then the other big part of it is, is that that's spilled over into the staff. The staffs have turned over dramatically. When I first got to the legislature and was lobbying, the staffs on the House and Senate side 
were very powerful. They had been there forever, had all kinds of institutional knowledge. You could talk to a staff member and it would be like you're talking to a legislator. And, you know, there's wonderful staff out there today, but boy, the his, historical knowledge is not there. And that's really hard to duplicate. So a final question before we sign off, and I think this will tee up a future conversation if you'd be willing to come back and spend the time. Our sector has changed tremendously um, over the last few years, over the last couple of decades. And and we were talking pre-conversation about um, how just the capacity of our board and what boards look like and what the organization looks like. For for those listening today who've kind of um, enjoyed this reflective look back, any comments you'd make about how the sector has changed in the way that we govern? Yeah, I would say that, you know, from my work with uh, the board here, uh, one of the big changes has been when I first started, the board was pretty much made up of mom and pop operations mm. and legacy kind of mom and pop operations. And we have just seen a transition over time. There are still some of those, but we have seen a transition over time into a much more corporate governance structure of these of these homes, which is happening uh, all over the place. I, I'm sure Oklahoma probably was even lagging behind some of those other states. But that that is uh, a bit, you know, a big change. I think with that. Uh, a lot of positive uh, things come with that. Uh, and with that, you lose some of the uh, you know, local connections in some of those districts uh, with legislators, longtime families you know, that had been in those districts and just you know, new elected officials and things like that. And so I do think that um, you know, there's, there's, there's positive and negatives about it, but, but it, it definitely has changed. There's no question about it. Well, Brian, we appreciate your partnership. We appreciate your very diligent work on behalf of the association. Uh, you'll hear from more Brian, hear more from Brian in subsequent podcasts. But sometimes with our legislature, we assume that just because they meet from February to May, that it's a four-month job. It, it's twelve months of contact. It's twelve months of work. And and on behalf of the association, you're you're working for us twelve months as well. So we appreciate that very much. You're a tremendous champion. Well, thanks, Steve, and, and I, I really enjoy this as, as, as we've talked here today. I think we, our family started representing this early in the early 90s. I, I've been doing it since 1999, and it really is a family. Uh, we, we, we view uh, care providers as a family to us, and so we appreciate you guys and appreciate the opportunity to work on your behalf. To our listeners, I hope you've joined our first episode. We will continually put out some product to keep you informed on the history of Care Providers Oklahoma, challenges facing our sectors, and opportunities to make a difference. Until the next time, this is Stephen Buck. Have a great day.